Welcome to the EMS on the Mountain podcast, a show for those interested in austere and wilderness medicine. This podcast provides insight into the unique aspects and challenges of bringing modern EMS into wilderness and austere environments. All right, welcome back to EMS on the Mountain podcast. Show for those interested in austere and wilderness medicine. I got my buddy Mike laughing already because he's terrible at the intro. Once again, I'm Sean and my backcountry partner, Mike. Today, we're going to talk about a case that we had out in the woods and something a little bit different. Talk about some of the challenges and unique events that occurred with it and try to use it as a learning experience. Uh, Before we get started, Mike, you got anything for us? Just remember, everything in the woods is different. (laughs) All right. So situation for this particular call. Uh, we had an adult female who had dislocated her knee while she was out hiking. Because of the dislocation, she was unable to continue walking down the trail. The initial time of the entry was sometime mid-morning. I don't keep track of all the detailed notes for this because we didn't plan to do these things back then. It was a pretty cool day, but otherwise, nice weather. Patient had no significant medical history. There's nothing core morbidities going on with her that would have contribute to anything else, no previous injuries and things like that. So this particular incident happened a little over a mile from the trailhead. We did have the advantage of being able to take an SUV quite a ways up the mountain first uh, before we had to actually get on trail with packs and gear. Uh, Trail, modern intensity, it definitely goes up. Seems like everywhere we go in the woods goes up. But there wasn't, this particular section isn't too significant when it comes to obstacles to navigate or anything else like that. So the big event, patient was hiking with her family. She was negotiating a small rock obstacle at the time. And as she remembers it, uh, she put her foot down, went to take a turn, and her foot stayed pretty much where it was, causing a dislocation of the knee. So at that point, she kind of fell to the ground in excruciating pain. The game of telephone ensued, right? So basically for us, where Mike and I work, not every trail gets cell reception. As a matter of fact, very, very few of them do. Um, And usually what happens is when people get a cell signal, they'll get on, they'll call 911, and it doesn't go to the park's 911 dispatch center. It It gets routed to the nearest actual 911 center through the cell network. And that's what happened on this one. So it went out into the local community. And once they, uh, the local dispatcher figured out where they were and what was going on. Then they transmit that information back over to the park side and the park calls us out. So there's already a bit of a delay in the initial response. You know, again, this isn't going to be an eight minutes from dispatch to showing up on doorstep, right? Uh, fortunately, at the time, there was a ranger who was out hiking, doing some work already in the area and was able to be dispatched and sent that direction fairly quickly. She was able to get on scene did an excellent initial patient assessment, sent us an update over the radio, and let us know what anticipated equipment and resources we were going to need. And I will let you know that this ranger was, when I say just an EMT, I don't mean that in the derogatory sense, but you know, she was an EMT. She was a brand new EMT. And so she did an excellent job, in my opinion, of doing the initial assessment and figuring out what was needed on scene. So kudos to her. She's one of our favorites. All right. So basically, we knew. The patient had dislocated a knee. The knee at that point, I believe, uh, had already kind of reset itself and had already reduced and was back in place. However, the patient was still in a lot of pain and was having 
a lot of pain and tenderness when she's trying to move the knee and kind of flex it and bear weight on it. Uh, with that in mind, the first responding ranger already let dispatch know that we're probably going to need a carryout team. We were contemplating crutches. We did bring crutches with us, uh, but just the way the weight was carrying or being loaded on that previously dislocated kneecap, it was just too uncomfortable for the patient to walk. Because if you've walked on crutches, you know when you have that one leg up, a lot of your weight is suspended and a lot of that area is going to be around that joint. And so it was just too uncomfortable for her at the time. So we continued on with getting a, a litter crew together and bring them up the hill, which is uh, essentially where my, my boy Mike came and joined me. And that's about that as far as the initial scene, right? So I got there probably at least 15, anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes after that first responder got on scene. And again, part of that was due to the luck of where this particular individual was injured and our ability to take a vehicle the vast majority of the trail before we had to get off on foot. In route, continued to get updates on the patient and her status. She was stable. Everything was looking good. Her vital signs were right within, and I hate to say it, within the limits. I absolutely hate that term. Yes, the WNL, or we never looked. Yeah, it's it's a huge pet peeve of Mike and I. It's don't ever tell me that your patient's vitals are within normal limits. I want numbers because then I can't trend good or bad. All right, so so once I'd got on scene, the patient's patella had indeed returned it to its normal position spontaneously, so it didn't require any additional reduction with me, which was good. The initial responder, my EMT, she had done an excellent job kind of splinting and immobilizing that joint, uh, utilizing SAM splints. She actually used some good techniques. She actually knows how to use the SAM splint, uh, and it wasn't just, hey, let's bend aluminum that still bends. So she actually did a really good job with that, so I saw no need to mess with that, left that in place, circulation, movement, sensation, everything else, and that ex- affected extremity was solid. No worries about that. So after I'd gotten on scene, offered the patient some additional pain medication. Uh, some family that's hiking with her already gave her 800 milligrams of Motrin, and she was happy with that. She didn't want anything else at the time. We kept it as an option. Even offered her a non-narcotic version. Uh, we do carry Toradol or Ketorlac, so Super Motrin, one of my most favorite drugs in the world. Uh, she didn't want any of it, so we didn't give it anything to her at the time. We just continued to monitor, and uh, if she needed more on the trail, we were ready and happy to give it. So as I mentioned before, when Mike was coming up with a litter team, he arrived a bit ahead of them just because he wasn't carrying the full litter, but he did bring a section of vacuum splint for us, which we used to augment the existing splint that was already put on the knee. And this was actually helped out and provided a little bit more pain relief for the patient as once we got that vacuum splint in position and used the the vacuum and actually sucked it down and formed it around that knee, provide more stability. She got a little more relief and it also helped stabilize it for that long carry down the trail. And that's a big key piece. Uh, Mike and I know are both big fans of any of the vacuum splints, especially full body ones for spinal injuries out in the backcountry. Just because of those long carryout times you've heard us talk about so much, they make those much more comfortable for your patients. Uh, if you've ever been just lying flat on the floor, on a concrete floor, just lay flat for 15, 20 minutes or challenge yourself to see how long you can stay like that before you decide that it's no fun. Um, so you get that full body vacuum splint under there and it's fantastic. Provides just total support and, and rigidity. It's excellent. So once that was all on there, we basically briefed her and her family what was going to happen. They had no questions. They had no issues with what was going on. They knew that's basically the only way anybody was going to come down off the mountain that day. So they were all about it, offered to help where they could, which was excellent. Always good to help recruit some trail side heroes. People are often looking to help out. And I'm not a 
not ashamed to say, hey, sure, you want to help carry some stuff? Excellent. Here you go. Right. Even if you don't necessarily have them help carry your patient, if you've got extra gear bags and things like that with you, yeah, let them carry an extra rope bag or something if you've got it. Keep an eye on it so it doesn't wander away into somebody else's Honda at the end of that event. They're good to put to use for a lot of things. All right. So as I mentioned, this was kind of early spring. So it was sunny out, but it was not what we'd call warm. It wasn't basking on the beach in LA in July kind of weather. A patient was initially wearing some shorts, t-shirt, and had just a general lightweight sweatshirt. So once we got patient laid into the cot, we had to put an insulating layer underneath her and we covered her up pretty good. Initially, there was a little resistance to that. Uh, And then the reality of, oh, you're right, this is much more comfortable set in. The initial concern was going to get way too hot. And as you've heard us talk about on a previous podcast, that it's often not the case because she's no longer making heat, right? She's just laying there for the ride. And so made sure she's good and insulated. Had a foam mat that I always carry in my pack. And sometimes it's used for me. Predominantly, it's always ends up with the patient, right? I have it to lay underneath my patients. It's probably a little less than a three-quarter length cell foam mat really and it's just to get the torso up off the ground and keep them insulated so we got that down underneath her i also carry a lightweight fleece blanket which is what we covered her up with and put a space blanket up on top of that as a bit of a thermal and vapor barrier and she was pretty toasty after that point being with that one is the uh some of the folks that helped respond up with those resources like the litter and the wheel etc um this was one of their very first rescues and they disconnected the dry bag that carries all of the insulating materials for the litter and left it with the rescue vehicle that all that came out of because they didn't know that that was supposed to stay with the litter and come with it. So instead of having all the sleeping bags and mats and everything that are supposed to come with that litter to help your patients out, they disconnected it, left it with the truck and came on up with just the litter. It got the job done, but this is again one of those reasons Mike and I generally tend to travel with more gear than your average responder, right? Because all that came out of my pack, which fortunately was enough and got her through the event. So the evacuation team arrived about 30 minutes after I'd gotten there. So that put us over, well over an hour from the initial time of injury. So again, if you're thinking time-wise, this patient's already been injured, stagnant, sitting on the rocks for well over an hour. So if the weather was really bad and they were not properly outfitted, which to be honest, Nobody in that party really was. They were out for a day hike and they were dressed accordingly. Uh, And this is a problem Mike and I see a lot with the area we work in. It fills with a lot of day hikers who don't plan to be out longer than the couple hours that they think they're going to be on trail. Nobody ever plans to go out and break an ankle or dislocate a knee. And when that happens, they find themselves without all the things that they really wish they had, like warmer blankets or warmer jackets, more water, more snacks, more food, etc. Or, hey, how about this one? A light. Everybody assumes their cell phone will work as a GPS and provide as a flashlight, and it's not always the case, right? So after everybody got on scene, we got the litter assembled, which took a little bit of coaching. Uh, Fortunately, Mike was still with me. Uh, We got the litter assembled. We transitioned, and essentially, we just had four of us physically pick her up, slide her right onto the litter, and start to get her secured inside. About that time, another call came out, which Mike gave me a quick salute and off the trail he ran down to the next call. So that left me with a couple less resources than initially had come up the hill, one of which was my loyal and dedicated partner. It was a very sad moment, but we moved on. So primarily, we moved her down the trail exclusively on the litter. Uh, we did have a wheel, which we were able to attach to the bottom. 
As mentioned earlier, this section of the trail was pretty free of significant obstacles. So we were able to fairly quickly just hike her down the trail. We did have to stop. I think I allowed for one actual break during the evacuation. As I stated, we were just less than two miles from the trailhead. So this didn't really take, you know, in the grand scheme of, of wilderness osteorescue, it didn't take that long. And I had just enough resources to keep people rotating through on a regular basis. And I prefer to use a rolling replacement technique with some of my litter bears, whereas you just either come from behind and you just bump them up and the ones in the front just kind of peel off to the sides and everybody just moves up position. Uh, and I know we did on those on the one big break gives those folks who've been on the left side too long or on the right side too long a chance to switch to the other side and wear out the other side of their body. Uh, the litter movement itself took just over an hour, which is actually pretty quick. Like I said, part of that was based on good, solid, easy terrain to move over. The extraction conducted, no additional injuries were found once we actually got her down off the mountainside there and to where the vehicles were waiting. So we did another quick assessment Everything looked good. The knee was still holding fine. Her pain was well managed. She was still in good spirits. Uh, and there was nothing significantly altered with her. So at that point, I transitioned care back with the initial ranger EMT who was with me. And I had to then jump in another vehicle with another ranger. And we headed towards the call that Mike had departed on earlier in the afternoon. So this patient was given a ride with some of her family members back down to the parking lot where their car was at the initial trailhead, and she signed her refusal, and off they went with no other injuries. Never heard back from them. We often get feedback from some of our patients. Not much we ever heard back from her, but she was fine. When they actually got her to their car, they wanted all the splinting material removed, so EMT helped take off the splinting stuff, retrieved our air splint, more importantly than anything else, and did note that the patient was able to bear a little bit more weight on that leg now and was able to just easily move herself from the ranger's vehicle, take a couple of steps into the family's car and sit down. So that's a good news story. So some of you might be like, wow, that's, it's not very exciting, right? No, it's not really exciting. And part of that is, is part it's of not the very lesson, exciting, right? Sean. It's not very exciting Wilderness. at all. She twisted her ankle. She twisted exactly, her knee. Right? So we'll, she twisted her knee and uh, she got out of that yeah. situation. That's not very exciting. However, it took forever. Right. That, exactly. And that, that's, that's the point of this first case study, which is really often the lesson, right? It's, it was a relatively benign, almost, well, for the Park Service, a BLS level injury. The biggest reason Mike and I were sent out was the possible need for analgesia, right? Just because it can be a painful injury. And if you're bouncing somebody around and perhaps the patella was still dislocated, you know, we could have done a reduction. We could have done a little sedation to get that back in place and made it a lot more bearable than just snapping it back in there, the traditional method. But it turns out, you know, she didn't really need ALS care. She was more than capable of being handled by a competent BLS provider, which I, I had with me, which was great. But yeah, it's, it's the whole thing. And it brings into a lot of the stuff we've talked about, right? There was some exposure issues. Her just sitting there on the side of the mountain, waiting for help to come, not able to move, starting to get a little bit of cold. She had uh, some family members offer her another jacket, which she had on, which then takes that jacket from somebody else who doesn't have something to put on, who is still also just standing still and starting to get cold. Preparedness of your providers, right? If you show up and you're not ready to take care of your patient to include helping to protect them from the elements and exposure, in my opinion, you're wrong, okay? If you show up with a small day pack and you can't get your patient insulated off the ground and start retaining some of that body heat, you should probably find a different line of work, okay? And I would say that applies across the board, urban, backcountry, no matter what. If it's Chicago in February, 
and you're a paramedic and you're not concerned about your patient's temperature that you found outside in an alleyway somewhere for a while, then you're wrong. You have the advantage of a heated ambulance, right? But easy to pick them up, put them in, crank the heat, put a blanket on them. Uh, so you need to think about these things. And then the length of the transport, right? So a dislocated knee, not that severe, but it still took upwards of three hours from the time their initial call came in until they were able to get extracted from the trail just a couple miles to a ranger's vehicle, transition into that ranger's vehicle, drive about another half an hour or so, and down to the parking lot where their car would be, and then able to self-transport off to your own family doctor or nurse clinic of your choice, right? It kind of brings into play a lot of the things we talk about with wilderness and austere medicine, those things that make it different. Limited resources. There's only so much I can do splinting-wise because I have to carry it with me. And could I have improvised with sticks? Hell yeah, no need. We had Sam splints, right? And then you're we had a wilderness medic. So uh, you didn't use sticks. You're a horrible guy. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, I'm terrible. Right. I didn't use sticks, right? We had a vacuum splint. Hey, purpose built. I'm an EMS provider. I consider myself a professional. We brought the tools we needed to have, and it worked out. So you got to think about these things, okay? Uh, total time that I was in contact with this patient was approximately two and a half hours, give or take. Some of the care considerations I had: weather, right? Big one. It was sunny, yes, but it was definitely cool out. Early spring. It's not, yeah, like I said, it's not like it was 75, 85 degrees outside. It was probably closer to 55. And while that's not cold, when you're not generating body heat and all you've got on is a pair of shorts and a t-shirt, it starts to get cold. All right. Easy access trail. This one really contributed to getting the patient out much faster. If she had been on the other side of that mountain and we had to go by foot the entire distance, it would have taken me at least two hours just to hike the trail to get to her. And then probably twice that at least for the extraction and the actual evacuation by litter. And that's assuming that we don't run into any complications with personnel and resources, right? Again, she was on a good section of the trail that was relatively free of any of the major obstacles could be found in this particular area, which is excellent. And overall, it was a simple call, right? Good on-scene assessments by the initial responding ranger, good call for initial resources, right? And we talked about that in our last episode, those that evacuation considerations. As soon as she got on scene, she recognized what she had, knew she had to get additional resources moving and got them moving. Much easier to turn them off than to wait until it's too late and have somebody sitting out on the hill for an extra hour waiting for people to get together and bring you what you need. With that, Mike, start making some comments. We'll just start having a little general discussion about some of the things with this case. I mean, it's, it's, what do you got for us, Mike? This is the equivalent of a standard BLS boo-boo call in front country. I dislocated my knee. I tripped. I fell. It hurts. You take them to the doctor place. There's no difference in the backcountry. The difference is there's a lot more resources that go into carrying somebody out of the woods than just calling an ambulance, using a stair chair, taking them down the stairs. We refer to this as a pretty straightforward, pretty simple call. And it was three hours to get her from where she was. And she was not very far from a vehicle. So everything in the backcountry, more or less, the, the patient cares the same. It's really about time. And it's about contact time with the patient and then managing all of the ancillary things like temperature, hunger, thirst, et cetera, that go into making wilderness different. The, the actual care itself, you splint a knee, you splint a knee. But taking care of that patient for the duration you're in contact with them and helping them through that entire evacuation can take hours for what would be considered a pretty simple contact. Yeah, and I think that that's... A great point, right? And that was something that uh, some of the family members commented on was like, it's like they had a, one, they had a very, I would say, common 
perception that you dial 911 and help will come. And while that is true, it's you're not going to get it in that 8 to 12 minute window that people normally expect and see for an, a normal ambulance to arrive. They got actually very lucky that the, the ranger was out there on duty that day, just happened to be on a trail hiking in the general area and was able to quickly divert and get up to them fairly quick, right? But after that, it took another bit of time to get moving. As soon as we heard the call go out, uh, just so folks know, it's like, wow, you seem to still have gotten there pretty quickly. Well, that's because when we heard the call go out, me and Mike were immediately in a vehicle driving towards the call. Yeah, I mean, we knew right where we're going. We know where they are generally. We've we've been there before. And so we're in a vehicle already eating up some miles on four wheels, vice two feet with the Ranger that was on trail. So yeah, I was able to get on trail and get to her again fairly quickly as compared to some. And again, in my bag was all the rest of the gear that she was pretty much going to get until we got to the litter team coming in. You know, and so if I didn't have my foam pad, I didn't have my patient fleece blanket and a space blanket for them and this and that, it would have been pretty embarrassing. We would have had nothing for her to insulate her and help keep her warm on the remainder of that carry out. Uh, so this kind of goes into the team is not just you, the provider. It's all the other resources that come with you and having to train them. I know we had definitely held a, a debrief after that one and talked to a bunch of those folks that came to assist. and. It was like one of those, hey, just FYI, this bag that's clipped to the litter should stay clipped to the litter and, and come with you. And they were like, oh, our bad, so sorry. And I don't blame them. It was there, I think, for almost every one of the folks that came and brought the litter to help carry her out. It really was their first rescue. These are not, these are seasonal and part-time employees that came up. They don't work in the rescue side of things in the woods. We're talking about folks who give guided tours talking about the local flora and fauna along the trails. You know, they could tell you all about the local wildflowers, but they're not rescue specialists. But when the call came out, they mustered and they came out and brought the gear. And so we could get it done, but mistakes like that can happen. And you kind of need to prepare for that. Like Mike mentioned, I don't know, probably every podcast we've made so far, you have plan A, but do you have a plan B and C, right? There's a whole planning aspect that goes into a lot of this. There's a couple of good military acronyms that are out there that I like that we'll probably use for future shows. So we won't get into those now, but you just have to be ready for it. You have to be able to, you don't have the ability to call for a bunch of extra things. So you just have to kind of come prepared to deal with whatever you get and you deal with it the best you can and you you head on out. Every rescue is different. And that's a fact, right? Yeah. So again, this was a a very simple call in the grand scheme of things. Uh, There was no significant injury. The patient was happy, stable, very cooperative. So we didn't have to run into some of the issues that you're going to hear about on future case descriptions, descriptions, case reviews. It's yeah. I had a lot of calls yesterday. I'm tired. Actually, it's, it's completely your fault. You did um, your volunteer. <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, I wouldn't get oh, to yeah, do the things point. in the woods. All right. Well, <laughs> I think with that, we've probably nailed this one. There's going to be a lot more case reviews. We've got some pretty, uh, pretty exciting stories for the future, but yeah. Any final thoughts, Sean? No, really, again, this was just kind of the intro to just start highlighting simple calls can take a long time. Right. So. All right. Well, if there's anything you want to hear about or any comment or feedback you have for us, you can always reach us at the show at emsonthemountain.com. You can hit us up on social media, Facebook, the Twitters, the Instas. We're out there. And if there's something you want to hear about, we've probably done it. Uh, With that, this is Sean and Mike signing out. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for show topics, you can send us an email at the show at emsonthemountain.com 
or hit us up on social media. We can be found on Facebook and Instagram at EMS on the Mountain, Twitter at EMS OTM, or you can engage with us and a whole community of wilderness EMS professionals at locals.com slash wilderness EMS. Until the next episode, thanks for joining us. And until we see you on the mountain, train hard, be safe, and do good work.